Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio, on with the show. Hello, it's Helia. I recently wrapped up the 2020 Board Accelerator program. It was so great to spend the year with these amazing women who shared, who supported, who problem solved and who learned together. That's what you get with the Board Accelerator program, a monthly check-in with other women board members who are just like you. So I wanted to invite you to come and join us for 2021. It's all via Zoom and there's a range of times so you can join us from wherever you are in Australia or the world. Super early bird prices are on until mid-December. Link in the show notes or get in touch if you want more information. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking to Caitlin Murdoch about how directors can become personally liable for company tax debts and how recent legislative changes have broadened the scope of director liability. So, Caitlin, could you introduce yourself to the Take On Board community? Thanks, Helia. Yes, so um, my name's Caitlin and I'm a lawyer in Brisbane. I originally grew up on a farm just outside Geelong, actually, so all my family's still in uh, Geelong and in Melbourne now, so uh, they're suffering a bit with the lockdown yeah. and COVID. So after school in Geelong, I then moved to Queensland to go to university. I studied a Bachelor of Arts and a Bachelor of Laws at uh, Bond University. And then I moved to Brisbane to take on my first role as a lawyer. And I've been pretty much working in tax ever since. I've worked in all facets of tax from corporate tax to international tax, indirect tax, which includes your GST, stamp duty, land tax. And now I'm actually more focusing on what we refer to as tax controversy, which is where you have your taxpayer who has a dispute potentially with the ATO and we help that taxpayer through their audit process, objecting to any adverse assessments and then the worst case scenario, helping them through a litigious process in the courts. 
Fantastic. Okay. There is plenty of stuff that we can pick through in the conversation today. But before we get to that, in fact, I don't always date my podcasts, but we are in a particular time this year. So this is today's the 20th of October, which means also that we are coming up to the grand final this weekend. And I've just heard that you're from Geelong. So for those that are not from Australia, the Australian Football League grand final is this weekend. It's in Brisbane for the first time ever because of COVID issues in Melbourne, which is where it's been held, I don't know, forever. And Geelong is playing Richmond. So Caitlin, A, are you going? B, if not, where are you watching it? And C, who are you supporting? Okay, my answers to the, these questions might shock you. So A, I'm not going. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm fortunate enough actually to be going on a little holiday this weekend. Oh my God, holiday. It sounds wildly exotic to those of us from Melbourne. Yeah, talking about it with my family back in Victoria because I feel so guilty, but I'm going to Townsville and then Magnetic Island. Whether they have a TV showing the AFL, I'm not sure, but hopefully I can watch the game. Secondly, or thirdly, I'm not sure which the order of your questions, but I actually go for West Coast. Oh, my goodness. That is not what I expected, having been raised in Geelong. My goodness. We will get on to tax issues in a minute, but how does a Geelong girl end up barracking for West Coast? Well, truth be told, so I'm born in, I was born in Subiaco, uh, and all, okay. all my family is originally from, from WA, so... Okay, that explains it. Right, fair enough then. Okay, well, now that we've got, you know, the big issues, and of course, by the time people get to listen to this, the grand final will have been weeks ago. But anyway, now that we've got the big issues out of the way, in fact, I don't even think I've formally said welcome to the Take On Board podcast. So welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Caitlin. Great to have you here. Thanks, Helia. It's good to be here. So today we're talking about how directors can become personally liable for company tax debts and some recent changes that have broadened the scope for director liability. So let's start with the framework. What are the obligations of directors in relation to tax debts? And then maybe if you can tell us about the recent changes that have broadened the scope. Okay, so before the legislative changes were implemented in April this year, so 2020, the company directors could really only be personally liable for two types of tax debts of their companies. Those were PAYG withholding tax and for the superannuation guaranteed charge. So essentially how the provisions operated was that if a company had not lodged or remitted their PAYG withholding liability by its due date or had they not paid superannuation into their super fund by the relevant date, the company might be imposed upon by the ATO with a superannuation guarantee charge. And if that's not paid by the company, the ATO has the power to then issue directors personally with what's called a director penalty notice. So when a director would get one of those, they would only then have 21 days to either ensure that the company paid the tax liability or then the obligation would be on the director to pay it themselves yeah. from their personal assets. So that was the position up until April this year. Yeah. And then from the 1st of April, the tax office or the commissioner of tax, as a result of legislative changes, now has the ability to do the same thing in, by issuing director penalty notices to directors 
but now for, in addition to PAYG and uh, the superannuation guarantee charge, to any outstanding GST liabilities. So this is potentially huge for directors because often the GST liabilities can be much bigger depending on what type of company you are. So directors may be on the hook for, for much, much more. Okay, so PAYG, which again, for those not in Australia or maybe even for those in Australia, pay-as-you-go tax, so the, the, those um, provisional payments, that's the word, thank you, and super was always part of it and what's been added to it to, is GST, which could be significant, which is on top of those previous ones that also could have been significant. Okay, so can you, can you give us some maybe recent case examples that demonstrate how this works in practice? Okay, sure. Um, so just with the GST, because it's so new, we haven't seen any cases come through yet. Which is a good thing, of course. <laughs> you know, the idea is that you don't see cases coming through. It's always better if people are complying with it. You can talk us through it, but there might even just be questions about it. Yeah, so with the GST, we haven't seen anything go through the courts, but it's analogous to the PAYG uh, and the super circumstances. So typically... What we see is we might see a client come in with, they've been issued with a director penalty notice. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, once you've got one of these, it can often be too late. Mm-hmm. So what you really need to do is, as a director, you need to make sure that you're across the company's tax liabilities from day one of becoming a director because you have positive obligations to obviously ensure that your company's solvent And if it is struggling to meet its tax obligations, you then have a positive duty to either try and enter into a payment arrangement with the ATO or alternatively start taking steps to have an administrator appointed or the company wound up. Because if you fail to do that and then a DPN or directed penalty notice is issued, you have 21 days to basically respond. And there are some defences available if you have not taken the steps to wind up the company or if you haven't caused the the company to pay its tax. However, these defences very, very rarely succeed actually in court. Mm. So a director can say something like, what we see is they were ill or for, for some family reason, they weren't able to take part in the management of the company. However, the courts and the ATO take a very narrow approach to this and they say often, well, your illness wasn't enough. Mm. So um, We've seen directors who have said, oh, I was ill and I had someone else manage the financial affairs of the company and the ATO have said, no, that's not good enough. You weren't ill perhaps for the entire time, you know, that obligation arose or you were ill but we need an expert to say how ill you were and we don't think it's enough. Yeah. It's quite harsh of a regime and you're better, much better off avoiding it in the first place than mm. seeing yourself having to respond to one of these. As you say, the idea is to avoid a director penalty notice. What's your advice to directors in being able to assure themselves that super has been paid, that GST has been paid, that the, all the taxes that they need to pay have been paid? So I'll start off with the position from a new director or someone um, just joining or have recently joined a company. So they have 30 days to 
appraise themselves of the company's situation before they can come within this regime and be on the hook. One of the things I would say to a new director is upon joining or even prior to joining, I would want them to be given financial information of the company. If they didn't have the financial acumen themselves, probably see an expert, an accountant or a lawyer about the state of the company. The next thing, once they are actually a member or a director of the company, I would be advising them to, if they can, get access to that, that company's ATO portal or have access to the tax agent for the company if there's an external tax agent mm-hmm. and find out that information. It's a great point too about if, even before you join the board, it can be part of the due diligence for an organisation, everything from getting the certificate of currency for your insurances through to assurance around taxes. I have a, a real life example of that. I, I think I think it's a bit of a, a war story or a horror story for <laughs> for listeners, just so they know what can happen. We had a client who. Uh, wanted to become a director of a company and did due diligence and did engage a, a very big accounting firm to undertake the due diligence and but their due diligence was limited to the information the company could provide them and it actually turned out that the people within the company provided falsified uh, financial documents so the director joining saw these and said, okay, well, this company looks good. I'm going to join. He joined and shortly after the company actually was insolvent mm. and the it was required to be liquidated. So there were two directors, him and another person, and mm. we saw the new director being pursued solely for the debts of the company because the other director didn't have any assets in his personal name. So, well, we were able, we had a success story. We were able to get the director off the hook, but that was after lots of stress. I think the point, the point is uh, you really need to be sure of what you're getting into and do all the right things in terms of, so, so that's how he was able to actually avoid that liability is because he showed that he took positive steps to understand the company's financials. Right. Okay. So there's a couple of things I want to fish into there. So probably more than a couple, but so because he'd taken the steps and been provided information and assured himself on the information that he'd been provided, he could avoid the liability for it because the information was falsified. Correct. Um, Okay. And the other thing I heard in there, which I wanted to ask you about as well, was the liability for these debts can be I guess, unevenly distributed amongst directors. So if you've got five directors and the tax liability is $50,000 or the superannuation liability is $50,000, don't assume, I think what I heard in there is don't assume, oh, well, my portion of that is $10,000. That's absolutely right. So under the law, the liability is joint and several, but whoever it is chasing the money, whether it's the ATO or a liquidator, Mm. they ultimately don't care where the money comes from as long as they get it so if there's say one director in Australia and one director offshore Mm. they might just pursue the Australian resident director because it's easier yep so it is it is a big risk actually and can I check something in in very practical terms this issuing of the um, director penalty notice where does it go that's a very good point that I also wanted to say something on so directors need to be really careful about 
what ASIC has in their records, the mm. director penalty notice can go to the director's personal address, it can mm. go to the company, and it can actually now, since April, go to the tax agent. One problem that we see uh, directors have is if they don't keep their details up to date with ASIC, then the ATO will potentially send the notice to a, the wrong address mm -hmm. and it is not a defence to say that you didn't get it. So you were just on the hook for the liability regardless mm -hmm. of whether you even know about it. Okay. So, yeah, keep – so that's interesting. A, keep your ASIC details up to date, which I am sure for people who have been directors of organisations for a significant period of time, if they go back to their ASIC records, it may well be where they were when they were appointed as opposed to where they are right now. So in that way, I guess it's a useful thing that the tax agents are also now part of that regime in terms of – I was going to say serving the director penalty notice – I don't know if it's formally serving it or not, but providing that to directors so that at least they get hold of it. So these changes were made in April. Can you talk us through why some of these changes were introduced? Yeah, absolutely. So these changes are actually part of the federal government's combating of illegal phoenixing activity. Mm. So the government has been concerned about what we call phoenixing and that's where you have a company who does a certain work and they were particularly concerned about property development companies and and that industry mm. so you would they were concerned about activity where the company would incur liabilities and also make money but they would not be paying their liabilities such as super and gst all sorts and paying creditors and then that company would wind itself up or liquidate and then transfer its assets into a new company mm -hmm. and just start operating from that new company and leaving the liabilities behind because yep. the directors weren't personally liable for, for mm -hmm. things like the GST. Yep. I think it was the 2018-19 federal budget. They announced a whole raft of measures to combat this activity and make directors more accountable. Mm. So that's where the change to, to include GST into the director penalty regime came from. And it's also why when purchases buy new units, for example, the purchaser is now required to withhold the GST. Mm -hmm. They don't seem to trust the sellers to actually remit their GST to the ATO. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, I think. And is there, you know, for directors who are thinking due diligence of the organisations that they're on, or in, indeed even if they're already on these boards, is there particular industries that, I mean, every director should be doing due diligence, every director should be looking at these things, but is there industries in particular where this is a problem? Well, obviously companies that have employees are going to be, mm -hmm. will need to be very careful about how they're complying with their superannuation obligations. I mean, we've seen a lot of things in the news over the last 12 months or 18 mm. months about companies who haven't paid their employees right. Yes. And so we have seen, I'd say most of the issues we have seen in our law firm in the tax controversy area have to do with super. Yep. So definitely companies that have any kind of employees uh, they really need to be careful. Companies that have probably what I would say is a high GST turnover, They, those companies who, say, re report monthly with their GST need to be really careful. 
because they don't they want to make sure every month uh, the GST is being remitted because if it's not you know each month you may have the potential for the liability to to arise and the directors to become personally li liable. Conversely, the type of entities that might not need to worry so much are anyone who's out there on their directors of not-for-profit companies who are income tax exempt. Yeah. They might not need to worry so much depending on their particular circumstances or companies that obviously don't have any employees or don't make enough turnover to actually require to to be required to be registered for GST. So a, a bit of a catch-all question, really. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that we should have? Uh, yes, Helia. I, one thing that I wanted to flag for your listeners is that if you are thinking about becoming a director or even if you are already a director of a company, it's really important that you look at your own personal financial situation and have a think about whether you might need to engage in some asset protection strategies mm -hmm. to make sure that you're perhaps limiting the amount of assets in your personal name or the amount of equity that you have that could be available in the event that the worst happened and you were pursued for the entire tax debt of a company or if there was an issue with insolvent trading and mm -hmm. the liquidator came after you personally. So that's definitely one thing. I think all directors should be aware of, especially when the company is what we call high risk. That can be a lot of different types of companies, but uh, we see it with perhaps construction companies where if, say, an employee or someone within the company had an accident on site or something like that happened, you mm -hmm. just want to make sure that any potential claim against you is uh, limited, mm. at least financially, if you can. One really critical thing for directors to be aware of is that ignorance of the law is not an excuse to uh, a number of things. So if you, you, you can't, if you get a director penalty notice, just say that, oh, I'm, an, I'm a non-executive director, so that was the role of the treasurer or whoever or mm. the CFO. That, that's not good enough. Every single person who sits on the board will be accountable mm. so that's one thing to keep in mind and it's also we've seen directors try and argue that they didn't know about the tax affairs of their company and not only does that fail in defending the tax debt it also will potentially get that director in a bit of hot water with ASIC we've seen ASIC then go after directors for their, their breaches of their statutory duty to take reasonable care and diligence. And I was reading a statistic that said ASIC have actually been successful in over 80% of their cases against directors for the breach of their duty of care. Yep. So th that, I think, highlights that ASIC are incredibly serious about directors complying with their duties yeah. and that they publicly say that there's no position on a uh, company board for directors who don't take an active yes. management role in the company. Yeah, interesting, which is that interesting, you know, that line, noses in, fingers out, kind of line between governance and operational. Uh, it sounds like in this area, maybe have your fingers in a little bit just so you can absolutely assure yourself that the company is doing what it needs to do because it's your obligation and your liability 
that you can't pass on to somebody else. Yeah, that's right. And there, I should say it is permissible, of course, for directors to go seek external advice if they're because mm. tax is complicated and not everybody can be across the intricacies of the tax mm. legislation. Yeah. So directors can seek advice from it can be from a qualified person within their company or it can be externally but the important thing to remember when that happens is you can't just get the advice and say yep I've got the advice no problem Mm. you need to make an independent assessment of what's raised in the advice and if you don't understand it you need to inform yourself or ask further questions to make sure that you do understand it and that you can take on take on that advice yeah so interrogate it and satisfy yourself not just go oh great I've got a piece of paper that says it's all fine therefore it's all fine oh Caitlin this has all been um you know it's such good advice for an area that is not only important but has or can have some pretty serious consequence for directors so incredibly useful advice for people What are the main points you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? So a couple of things. Uh, Firstly, if you're becoming a director or you're already a director and haven't done this yet, just make sure that you're up to date with the tax compliance of the company and it's just broader financial position. Mm -hmm. Uh, Secondly, make sure that your personal details and the company details within the ASIC database are up to date. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can just find that out from a company search mm-hmm. and it's pretty easy to change if it's not right. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, thirdly, look at your own financial position and think about whether if you have significant assets in your own name, think about whether you want to move some of that around to the extent you can to mm-hmm. ensure that you if the worst happened, you're protected personally. And it just if you're not sure about any anything within the company, just ask questions and seek advice mm. from people with the relevant experience. And is there a resource you would like to share with the Take On Board community? Uh, well, if anyone wants to actually read the provisions around the director penalty regime, it's pretty dry, but it's contained in the Tax Administration Act in Schedule mm. 1. So that's in Division 269. If you don't want to read about it, uh, read the actual legislative provisions, but want to read about it, I've got an article on my LinkedIn page, which I can give you the details. Uh, And if if you have any questions, you can contact me. Uh, I've had a lot of queries come through and I try my best to answer Mm. them in a timely way. We'll make sure we put a link to your LinkedIn and if we can, I actually don't know if we can directly link to an article that's on your LinkedIn page. We, we will if we can and if we can't, we'll just link to your LinkedIn page and um, pop your contact details in there as well. Okay, terrific. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom about this topic today. I know it'll be of huge value to the Take On Board community. So thank you for joining us here today. Thanks, Celia. Thank you for having me. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues 
or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation. 